We are picking up at Matthew 24, 29. There are three truths that we must understand about the last days. Three things that we must understand if we're going to go forward. We said last week that many will be unsettled in the last days. That persecutions would break out, and we see that happening as we look around the world today. Persecutions against Christians. Persecutions against those churches that continue to teach the truth. A great tribulation is coming. It cannot be stopped. We can't figure out the Antichrist and somehow magically make him go away. But we have to be aware of false alarms. We have to be aware of those who keep telling us, oh, it's already over. Jesus already came back. He's spiritually in charge right now. That's not what Jesus said. So what did he say? Matthew 24, 29. We must remember that the rapture of the church, which will save us, is not the second coming of Jesus Christ. Understand, when you talk about Jesus returning, there are two returns. There is the rapture. Then there is the second coming. And let's separate them right now. Here we are, Matthew 24, 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, Jesus has just talked about how men's hearts will grow cold. There will be wars and rumors of wars. There will be all these terrible things happening. Then, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not shed its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the celestial powers will be shaken. So this is something that the whole world will see and understand that is catastrophic. Interestingly, this week, they were talking about how the U.S. government has released all these reports saying, hey, you know what? UFOs are real. UFOs did land at Roswell. UFOs have been caught on Air Force cameras in all these different things. All these reports you heard about, they're real. They released it this week. Why? What's happening? What is going on right now that forces the government to reveal what they've been hiding since the Roswell incident supposedly happened. That's simple. The world has become so unstable that it's now the perfect time for the world to be shaken up. It says this, Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He will send out his angels with a loud trumpet, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the earth, to the other. Interesting. This is the second coming of Jesus. Don't confuse this with the rapture. There are some similar images in the rapture. We'll look at that in just a minute. It'll be in 1 Thessalonians, by the way. If you want to keep a finger right there in Matthew, flip over to 1 Thessalonians 4. That's where we're going to go. I'm going to show you the two things side by side. This is the second coming. When it says that the whole earth will see Jesus coming, and they will mourn. Understand what it says. Everybody will know when Jesus comes back to the earth. The Bible says he will descend on the Mount of Olives, and he will go up to Jerusalem. He will go through the east gate, and he will take his place in the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem. This is after the seven years of tribulation. Interestingly, all of the ancient astronaut nuts keep telling us, oh, Jesus was an alien. You see, he came down in a spaceship. That's why he descends to the Mount of Olives. No. When Jesus went away, when he was taken up, as Elijah was taken up, then he will come in that same way. They will see him coming, but not a spaceship, not aliens, not from another world, but from the very kingdom of God itself. 
So when this happens, he will go up there. By the way, the Muslims, when they took over control of Jerusalem, built a graveyard in front of the East Gate. Do you know why? Because a kosher rabbi in Jewish culture cannot walk on the graves of the dead. So they put this graveyard there so the Messiah could never enter through the East Gate. There's a problem, though. For the last at least 10 or 15 years, water has been building up under the Mount of Olives. It's been, uh, sorry, under the uh, Temple Mount. Water has been building up these chambers, filling up with water. They're not sure where it's coming from. But here's the thing. If that water ever breaks loose on the Temple Mount, you know where it's going to go? To the lowest place on the Temple Mount. You know where that is? The East Gate. What would happen if you had tens of thousands of gallons of water that washed out of the Temple Mount, went right down through the East Gate, right down through the graveyard? What would happen? I'll tell you what would happen. Have you ever been to New Orleans? Have you ever been to Louisiana? Have you ever seen what sudden tidal waters will do to a graveyard? Simple. It washes it clean away. And I believe that the Messiah, when he sets foot on the Temple Mount, he will enter through that cleansed by water, East Gate. There will be no bodies left. There will be nothing there to prohibit him. And he will enter what belongs to him, which is the rebuilt Temple of God. So that's what's going to happen. The world will see Jesus come back, and there will be no doubt that he is Jesus. Remember, the Messiah returns to reign for 1,000 years, one millennium. So for 1,000 years, Jesus will administer the kingdom of heaven on earth from Jerusalem through the saints. That's us. We're not saints because we're all perfect. We're saints because we are his servants, because we belong to him. He has made us co-heirs with the kingdom. So this is the second coming. When Jesus comes this time, he is not going to leave. He is not going to go back into the heavens. So what is going on? It says that the sign of the sun will appear. Well, that's very simple. Consider this, Zechariah 12.10. Zechariah 12.10. You're going to write these down, write them down, because the Bible always authenticates itself. You don't have to go outside the Bible to authenticate it. The Bible explains itself. The Old Testament explains the New Testament perfectly. Look at this. It says right here, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only, for an only child, and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. You see, when they see Jesus return, they will know who he is because Zechariah told them that they will weep that they pierced the Messiah. You know, the whole scriptures of Isaiah tell us that the Messiah will be pierced, that he will be driven through without breaking a bone. One of the prophecies that Jesus fulfills on the cross. Usually on the cross, they would take a man and they would break his legs because he could no longer push himself up to breathe. And with his legs broken, he would hang there and asphyxiate. That's how they killed someone quickly on a cross. Jesus' legs were never broken. You realize that? They came to him to break his legs, but when they came to him, he was already dead. So they never touched him. He remained intact. His body remained unbroken because that was the fulfillment of Scripture. I think every Christian should make it their purpose in life to look at the prophecies of the Messiah, to personally match them from the Old Testament to the New Testament so that we can be certain in our minds who Jesus was, that he was the Messiah. So when Jesus returns, 
they will know and they will weep over what they've done. They have wasted their lives looking for a Messiah who had already come. And that, that's an interesting thought for us. But also consider this. This, this, re, this return of Jesus that we see right here in Matthew 24, this is his permanent return to earth. But in 1 Thessalonians 4, it says this. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. 13 through 18. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. I've said that at more funerals than I know what to shake a stick at. I mean, I've said that at virtually every funeral. We want you to know the fate of the dead so that you don't weep like those who have no hope. You listen to someone who has died without Christ, someone who has died in their ignorance, died in their sin, and you will hear in the voices of their family a, a terrible, bone-crushing agony because they know they will never see that person again. You see, the person without Christ will never see their loved ones ever again. Because in hell, there's no lights. You can't see one another. You spend that eternity in that darkness and the weeping and gnashing of teeth. So we want you to know what happened to them. See, the Jews were spreading a lie that Jesus had already come back and that the dead had no hope of the resurrection. That was the lie that was being told to defeat the church. But he says, no, I don't want you to be uninformed. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Aha. So he will bring with him when he returns the second time. That's back up there in Matthew. He will bring those people. But how did they get there? For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Be encouraged that you will not be forsaken in the grave. You will not be left behind. Christ will call you from the grave. That's why, you see, I don't, I don't understand people who are afraid of uh, cremation. I don't get that. You put a body in the ground after 100 years, what have you got? Dust. So it's not like you're going to get that body back. That's what's frightening about the rapture of the church. We always see in the movies that, that God sounds this trumpet blast, and suddenly our bodies are gone and our clothes are left behind. Why? You don't need this stuff. This stuff gets old. It gets weak. It gets diseased. You don't need this stuff in heaven. You get a brand new body. Thank you. I'll take Schwarzenegger. Yes, I'm good. You get that when you are, when you are resurrected to the Lord. So you don't need the fleshy stuff. I think after the rapture of the church, the bodies will be left behind. If the Lord came back right now, and call for us to come up here, as we see, I think our bodies are going to be left here. Our bodies and everything we have are left here because we don't need them anymore. We don't need this flesh and blood stuff anymore. We get a new body. That's why the world won't be shocked or amazed. If, if 1.5 million people went disappeared, people will go, wait a second, I've heard about that somewhere in church when I was in Sunday school. They will think something happened. But if everybody's body is left behind with the disease that's going on today, with the diseases that are going to be coming in the future, they will just assume that we all succumb to the same sickness, to the same disease. Remember, 
When the horsemen ride, one quarter of the world's population dies. That's over 2 billion people. Think about it. If 2 billion people die, how do you find enough graves for the people? How do you find a way to number the dead? You can't. During the Black Death in Europe, they didn't even know who was dead. They just went through and if someone was dead, they threw them in massive piles and put them outside and threw them in a common grave. They didn't even keep lists of people who died because of the plague. That's what it's going to be like in those days. So you see, he wanted us to know right there in 1 Thessalonians, God is not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you to death and to eternal languishment in the ground. He will call you up. Then you are with the Lord. Remember I told you when the bridegroom comes to take possession of his bride, the bridesmaids go out to him and they light the way back for the bridegroom. Jesus is going to come back for the second time to the earth, Matthew 24. But for that to happen, the honor guard of heaven has to be assembled. And sweethearts, that's us. We become the bridesmaids. We are the ones called up to be with Christ. Then we will go with him as he goes to take his kingdom. You realize that? You don't get to sit around in heaven eating grapes, playing harps. It's not like that. You don't get wings and sit on a cloud. I don't care what the Red Bull commercial says. Heaven is for those who are worshiping and serving God. So we are called up to be with him. Then we, we come back with him. All of those who've ever followed Christ will come back and be his servants on this earth. We will be the ones to help share that gospel after the 1,000 years begin. Everyone goes, aren't you afraid the world will end tomorrow? No. If Christ came back tomorrow, the world still got 1,007 years to go. No rush. We're good to go. Now, those who are not Christ's, who are not raptured, they remain. And theirs is to go through the tribulation. We'll be talking more about the tribulation when we get to the four horsemen. So we must remember that the rapture is not the second coming. We go up in the rapture. We come back. In the second coming. Second, we must pay attention to events. This is why I've started to watch the news with a critical eye. I've started to ask what's really going on, what's really being said. Matthew 24, 32. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. As soon as its branches become tender and sprout leaves, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things happening, recognize that he is near even at the door. When you see all of the things that Jesus just talked about in the first part of 24, the world growing cold, wars, people turning in, I have never in my life seen so much heartlessness. You saw the, the man who tried to grab the little girl at the bus stop, and she fought him and fought him and put the blue slime on him. That's how the cops found him. What is going on with so many people attacking and killing children? It is, there's no psychological way to explain this type of perversity except this. The hearts of men have grown cold. No natural affection, no love, no respect, no compassion. It's a supernatural darkness that has descended on the human race. And it's everywhere. In every place, every country, it's everywhere. And we see it every day. But are we paying attention to it?
It says this, I assure you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away. For those of you who think the earth is eternal, nope. But my words shall never pass away. Okay, he says that when a generation sees these things happen, a generation, biblically speaking, was anywhere from 70 to 100 years. 70 to 100 years. Now, we chart the beginning of that time from 1948 when Israel, which was not a nation for 2,000 years, when Israel became a country again. And you realize when they brought the document to the president of the United States and they said, President Truman, here is the document that will create the state of Palestine. He said, what's Palestine? He says, you know, the... The Jews in, Israel, in Egypt and, and other countries in Russia, and we're going to pull them all back together. We're going to give them their own country because they had just seen six million Jews exterminated in World War II. And the world was shocked. Did you know that England was supposed to create a homeland for the Jews in 1918? History lesson for all of you who love it. After the First World War, the, the League of Nations, as it were, were supposed to get together and create a homeland for the Jews. They didn't do it, which made it easy for Hitler to bring all the Jews out of Poland and Russia and everywhere else and try to exterminate them from the face of the earth. Isn't it interesting? Hitler called it the final solution. The final solution to what? I'll tell you what it was. Exterminate all the Jews and there's no one for the Messiah to come back for. Remember, this is the age of the Gentiles. Jesus is striving on the earth right now through his church to redeem the Gentile people. But the tribulation is strictly about Israel. It's about the Jews. It's about those people who have always been his people. They've never been replaced. Everything in the tribulation is about waking up the Jewish people to the truth of who Jesus Christ is. He's the Messiah. Hitler's final solution was get rid of the Jews and Jesus never comes back. There's no reason. No Jerusalem, no temple, nowhere for Jesus to reign. That's what Hitler was thinking. But he was wrong. All he did was shock and horrify the world as to what they had actually... My dad talked about the horror of being in Germany after the war. The horror of what they had done. People claiming they didn't know anything. We didn't know anything about these death camps. The very land stank of death. He said, he said, everything smelled like death because that powder that came out of those furnaces was on everything. Death was all over those cities. People knew what was going on. They chose not to know. So here's the thing. 70 to 100 years after Israel became a nation, after the Jews returned, the Bible says in prophecy, once they come back, they will, never be sick. they will never be sent out again. They'll never be taken out again. That's why, that's why when they founded Israel, one of its um, primary tenets is never again. We will never again be sent to the ovens. We will never again be scattered. We will never again not be a people. That's why anytime you oppose Israel, you just are inviting death. Because they will not stop until the very last Jew is killed. And that's not going to happen. Not on God's timetable. Go from 1948 to today. It's been 73 years, I think. 
my math is getting bad in my old age. That means we're within that window of 70 to 100 years. Start looking, church, because the world is changing rapidly. All of the things that are supposed to happen in the last days are happening. Things are going on that we've never seen before, ever. Oceans dying, world polluted, food becoming scarce. Watch the food prices go up. Watch the crops begin to fail. Everything points to those last days. So we've got somewhere between a 70 and 100 year window. That means we don't have a whole lot of time. And if you talk to most of the people who are studying the New Testament from a Jewish perspective, they're, they're, they're closer to the 70 than they are to the 100. So we might be out of time. We might be out of time to share the gospel with the world. So we have to remember that the rapture is not the second coming. That's what he's talking about right here, the second coming. We must pay attention to the events of the world because if we look at what's happening, we become more motivated to share Christ because there is no time. Literally, Jesus Christ could come back at any moment, bring the church from the world into his presence, prepare us so that seven years after that, we will escort the king of the universe back to his throne. If you look in, the, in Israel right now, they have remade every single implement of temple worship except one. What have they not remade? The Ark of the Covenant. Why? They already got it. So everything is prepared to rebuild the temple. All they have to do is have some situation happen. Something occurs which forces both Arabs and Jews to rebuild that temple. And when that is done... The Antichrist will take his place. He will proclaim himself God. And all of those in Israel will know that something terrible has happened. Then they will wake up. Then they will see the abomination that leads to desolation. We are blessed, church. We live in the last generation of people. Our children will see the return of Jesus Christ. They will hear the rapture. They will hear the call. But will they be ready? Last thing. We must live in expectation. Young people are always expectant. Kids like Clayton, I'm out of college. Now I got to study for the MCAT. I got to put everything into it. I got to you know, study eight, 10 hours a day. And then I got to take the test. Then I'm going to go to college. And then I'm going to get my master's. And then I'm going to see. It's always a then and then. They're always looking forward to the next thing. You know what happens when you get to my age? What are you, what are you looking forward to? Retirement? Sitting in, a, sitting in a chair and watching fireflies buzz around? Hopefully, we never lose the expectation for what God's about to do. Matthew 24, 36. Now, concerning that day and hour, no one knows. If you ever hear a pastor say, I know when Jesus Christ is coming back, run away. He's a liar. He's a liar because Jesus said, no man knows. Neither the angels in heaven nor the Son himself except the Father only. So when Jesus was on the earth as a flesh and blood human being, God had covered from his mind that final plan so that he would not know even, but he would walk by faith. It says this, this is so important. This phrase, the church ignores this phrase, and they really shouldn't. As the days of Noah were, so the coming of the Son of Man will be. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah boarded the ark. They didn't know until the flood came and swept them all away. Remember, 
Noah had a long time to build that ark. Architects and structural engineers who, uh, who work uh, with the church, you know, etc., have estimated that given the manpower, given the availability of the gopher wood and everything, it would have taken about 70-some years before the ark could have been finished by hand. 70-some years. That's a long time for people to say, hey, Noah, what you building? You're building a what? An ark? What's the ark for? You're kidding me. What's rain? Never heard of it. See, you see, the world was so different. People didn't understand what Noah was saying. Oh, you're a fruit loop. Oh, you're crazy. There's no such thing as rain. We're not going to, God wouldn't flood us. God loves us. If I hear that phrase again, I'm going to scream. But God loves everybody. God just wants us all to be happy. Funny, I never read that anywhere in the Bible. They didn't know until the flood came and swept them all away. So this is the way the coming of the Son of Man will be. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other one left. Therefore be alert since you don't know what day your Lord is coming. But know this. If the homeowner had known what time the thief was coming, he would have stayed alert and not let his house be broken into. The church should pay attention to that phrase. Oh, I'll talk to my kids about Jesus when they're older. I heard a parent once say, Lord, forgive them. Well, I don't want to make any decisions for my children. I'll, I'll let them decide that later. What? That's like saying, I'm going to let my kid have a 12-gauge shotgun and let him figure out how to use it as he goes along. When I was, when I was you know, knee-high to a grasshopper, the old man gave me a 12-gauge. He showed me how to point it, how to look down the barrel. He said, now look down at the target, son. I said, okay. He said, now pull the trigger. The old man didn't tell me that a 12-gauge kicks like a mule because that was a self-loader, and that thing kicked hard. Left a nice big imprint on my shoulder. My dad wanted to teach me a lesson. I wish he had just said, hold it a little tighter. So you see, you got to teach kids the reality of things. You got to show kids the truth. If you don't, they may get injured in the process of learning or they may not learn at all. They may not learn the right way. And that's what's going on here. A lot of parents don't want to talk to their kids about Jesus because they don't know him either. And they don't want to admit the fact, I don't know anything about spiritual things. I don't know anything about heaven. I've seen so many people go, I asked my dad about heaven, or I asked my mom about heaven. They said, go talk to the pastor. Why? Why go talk to the pastor? If you're in church, you should at least know how to get to heaven. We were just watching uh, a really great TV show that, that we love. It was the last episode. And one of the, one of the main characters says to another one, you're a, you're, a, you're a minister? He says, yes. He says, can you give me a simple plan to get to heaven? And I look with anticipation. Come on, buddy, tell him. He goes, well, that's a complicated issue. And I'm like, wait a second. It's not complicated. It's uncomfortable, but it's not complicated. He said, well, you think about it, and you come back and you give me a, a, simple, a simple plan, and, and I'll agree to give you more time off to work in your church. He comes back and he, he kind of gives a, a sort of a good reason from human perspective type of thing. And I'm going, 
Just tell the man about Jesus. It's not comfortable, but it's not complicated. Now, it's only a TV show. I get it. It's only a TV show. But I say kudos to them for raising the thing, raising the issue. Are any of us really 100% comfortable with telling people the truth about Jesus Christ? You go to your friends and they say, well, you know, I always wondered if God minds me going out, getting drunk and doing this and doing that and doing the other thing. We say, you say, well, I don't know. Yes, you do. You already know. You know what God expects. You know what God is looking for. Why not tell people the truth? Say, look, it's your decision. You choose to live the way you want to, but this is what the Bible says God expects. Then leave it up to them. Leave it in their hands. But at least you've given them enough information to figure it out. And that's what I can't understand. Because right here it says this. It says two women grinding, one taking one not. So two, two, two people are on the roof, one taking one not. Therefore be alert since you don't know what day the Lord is coming. If a thief was coming, you'd stay awake and catch him. This is why you must be ready, because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. As soon as the church thinks Jesus isn't coming back, he's coming back. They did a survey of people in American churches. They said, how many of you believe that Jesus is coming back? It was like 35%. 35%. They think, we're going to meet Jesus when we die. No. And even if that was true, how long have you got? There were, there, were, there were children murdered this week. How long did they have? You know, mom and dad and grandma and grandpa, well, we'll talk about that when you're older. Why? Why talk about it when you're older? Why not talk about it right now while you have time? I talked to somebody once and they said, you know what? I'm still young. I'm not ready to make that decision. I said, well, understand this. You are young. And you may have 50 years left ahead of you, and you may have six months before you die of cancer. You better consider the truth of this. If there is a God, if there is a heaven, if there is a hell, the decision you make right now, or the one you fail to make, changes eternity. Amen? We know it's true. Why don't we tell them? Because they don't want to hear it. They don't want to know. But it's still our job to tell them. Consider this. 2 Peter 2.5. If God did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, who was a herald of righteousness. I like the word herald there. Someone who heralds or who tells about righteousness. He had preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. God executed his plan. He told Noah, I'm going to flood the world. I'm going to kill everybody except the people you put on that ark. What did God do? Exactly what he said. In fact, Genesis is interesting. Have you ever read it? It doesn't say that Noah pulled up the gangplank. It doesn't say that Noah sealed the door. It says God sealed him in. God made it possible for that wooden ship to be built in such a way that that massive door was lifted and sealed against the waters that hit the earth. Amazing that God sealed them in. God will seal us in too. When that rapture comes and we are gone, we are gone. If you go through the tribulation, then at the end, he will come back for those who came to faith during that time, during that terrible period to come. 
Hebrews 11.7, by faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. He was told what was going to happen. He believed God and acted on it. That's what God requires all of us. Do you believe that he is going to do what he says? Is he going to come in the clouds with the shout of an archangel, voice of a trumpet, and is he going to call the church out of the world so that he can let loose the tribulation? Yes. Is he going to come back to the earth, escorted by the saints of old, to take possession of this world from his throne in Jerusalem? Yes. Nothing can stop the Antichrist from rising, but nothing can stop Jesus from coming back. Count on those two things, and you will not be disappointed. The last one, Luke 17, 28 through 32. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot. Now, we talked about the days of Noah. Here's the days of Lot. They were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in his house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Why not turn back? Look at the next sentence. Remember Lot's wife. Lot's wife had already left the city. She had escaped. All God said is don't look back. Don't look back. All that happened, she turned around, she looked back to look at her home, which was burning, to look at her city, which was burning. And she was overcome by the sulfur and the ashes and, and, and all that had happened. And she died right there on, on the shore of that lake. You know, it's interesting. They've been to the Dead Sea. And there is a formation called Lot's Wife. It's a pillar of salt. Actually, it's, it, it's, it's a stone pillar. I understand. This is what I've been told. It's a stone pillar, but it has been covered by the salt of the Dead Sea, or of that area. So this, this, this stone pillar is covered with salt. It has become salt encrusted. The same thing may have happened to Lot's wife. They may have gone, and they were going, and they were fleeing, and she stopped. She turned around to look back, overcome by gases. She fell to the ground, and when she fell to the ground, her body was covered with salt. And she became encased in it. What a terrible picture of people who turn around when they're following God and they start to look at the world and everything the world has and suddenly they are overcome by it. They become encased in it and they are left in it. Lot had no way of knowing until he was further out that she had turned around, she had gone back, she had looked, she had been overcome. The daughters didn't understand what had happened until they got to safety and mom wasn't there. I don't want that to be anyone that I know. I don't want anyone to say, oh, I didn't know. I didn't. I wasn't prepared. Be prepared. Make the decision. But then understand, you will have to live or die by the decisions you make now, here. This is not a happy message. This is a terrifying message. This is horrible. Because I look at the world, and I know that we don't have any time left. So 
as we think about this, we're going to go on to the horsemen of the apocalypse. We're going to look a little more at what's going to happen in the world after we are gone. Why? I want us to know what it will be like for those who are left behind so that we will be more motivated, more prepared to tell them the truth. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the day.